Hello, weirdos. Mary here. Just wanted you to know there isn't a patron-requested mini-sode this week. If you haven't heard, Utah got hit with an earthquake and we had 52 aftershocks. Power was intermittent, and because of this, we didn't get the mini-sode edited in time. And when I say we, I mean Eric. You guys know Sarah and I don't do that. Instead, we've uploaded one of our patron exclusives, and the subject matter is twins, and we recorded it last year. Also, do not judge me on my laugh you hear during the beginning. All right, enjoy! episode it time. is i didn't know i know if only there was a clue yeah. <laughs> something if only we had a it. jingle we do need a jingle <laughs> write us a jingle people i think you just did <laughs> then you guys don't have to hear my horrible <laughs> hi hey you guys ready oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you Do guys are look ready? you guys are very in sync <laughs> which is great for today's topic of being twins <gasps> Yay. Although I should probably state you guys are not twins. No. No. Not that we know of. No. I'm attracted to both of you, though. Fun fact, though. There, there's a weird, like, twin thing with me in my life, though. <laughs> wow. Do tell. I'm, I'm intrigued. Helmets. Twins. Um, no, there's a weird thing with twins in my in my life. So first of all, I'm a Gemini, um, and my my brother and I share a birthday, but we're oh. he's 11 years older than me, one and one. The twins, a sign of the Gemini. Interesting. Right, right. My best friend in high school, same birthday as me, and he has a twin brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you ate your twin, it happens. You know. You, it would explain why I'm always hungry for flesh. <laughs> there shall only be one. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There's other weirdness with my birthday as well. But yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Wow. There you go. So, yeah. Hmm. Weirdness. So yeah. you should have been a twin? I am a twin, 11 years separated okay. and a different mother. So yeah. <laughs> he's my half brother. Nothing weird about that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, same birthday, 11 years apart, Wild. one That's and crazy. one, the twins, mm. Gemini. Babies are gross in the womb, just <laughs> FYI. <laughs> Babies are gross, just period. Just speaking of, well, no, because I have a lot of pregnant people around me and they have books and uh, my one friend, nope. Jasmine, who was on Enough About You, is an oversharer. Oh. Like way over sharer. Yeah. And she's like, Do you know right now my baby's probably eating his poop and hair in my womb? I'm like, <laughs> And I thought nope. all of that would stop now that she's had the baby. Oh no. Now I get Snapchats of just like explosive baby explosive up diarrhea the, up the back yeah and yeah like i was over there i was eating lunch one day and she came over was eating lunch in my office and one day she came over and she's like oh yeah so so and so her baby you know he loves sweet potatoes but man expo- it just goes like into detail and i'm like dude no 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 <laughs> like if someone asks i'll tell but we like- can talk about detective benson yeah <laughs> We can talk like, about our have, love for yeah. memes. I have way too many poop conversations with Brett now. Yeah. Like when I'm with other adults who can talk, it's not what I want to talk about. Yeah. yeah no. I'm I don't, like anything else, please. I left the house to get away from poop talk. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Like that's all. Like we literally have conversations where it's like, did the baby poop today? What color yeah. was it? And it's like, oh my god, what happened to like, hey schnookums, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey schnookums. Or <laughs> <laughs> like sexy time talk. Like yeah. People at work laugh all the time because they'll hear me from across the office like, quit sending me your shitty Snapchats. <laughs> Literally. I, I don't care what color Literally. shit right. your baby is pooping. <laughs> uh. 
if that's the case, I have definitely given her the wrong vibe on our friendship. Right? Yeah. 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 Right, right. Hey, guys. Share the poop. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. About one out of every 30 babies born in the United States is a twin. Huh. Hmm. Well, so I, I guess that's you have a one in fifteen chance of having twins. Then oh. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not good at math. Yeah, or statistics. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's yeah. about right. One in fifteen charts. chance. Oh. Though it's funny, some people are more genetically yeah. predisposed. Actually, predisposed yeah, my family had I given birth to the Antichrist, it would have been in twos. <laughs> We would add two antichrists. Yep. It's weird, unless the one ate the other one, which would more than likely happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's my generation to carry for twins. It really does skip. Yeah, that's how our family is too. But woohoo, skipped. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and they say too. What the hell was that? <laughs> it was my secret hidden. Laugh. That was disturbing. <laughs> You sound like a killer doll or some shit. You better not have that goddamn doll hiding somewhere. Oh. I don't. It's just because I know it's oh. secret. That's my secret laugh. Now you creeped Sarah out and her and, and the cat who shall not be named just came up and bonked her in the back of the <laughs> that head. That was Jessica, though. Yeah, right. Calm down. Hey, did you guys know, too, that if you have twins one time, that your next pregnancy, you're more susceptible to twins, apparently? No. Yeah. So like, I know, I've seen a lot of families where they've I've had heard. multiple sets of twins. Yeah. But, like, if you have one set, like, the chances of having them again are, like, it goes up by, like, 50%. Wow. Uh-oh. She sees her nemesis Uh-oh. is up. Uh-oh. I'm about to be in the middle of a fight. Right. Now, twins have long been surrounded by mysteries and oddness. While the twin bond is a unique relationship, sometimes it's endowed with extraordinary, seemingly telepathic qualities. Mm-hmm. Statistics have shown that in average, identical twins tend to be around 80% the same in everything from stature to health to IQ to political views. Huh. Interesting. Now, many question the twin connection, but there's just too many stories out there that make you question the unique bond. A couple quick examples are a couple of twins that were separated at birth, Mm -hmm. okay? So my first example is a pair of twins that were adopted separately in 1940, just three weeks after they were born. James Edward Lewis, who married a woman named Linda, but divorced her and married a woman named Betty, with whom he had a son with named James Allen, A-L-A-N. He worked as a security guard, drove a Chevy, and was an avid chain smoker. James Arthur Springer married a woman named Linda, divorced her, remarried a woman named Betty. He had a son with her named James Allen, A-L-L-A-N. Now this James worked as a deputy sheriff, drove a Chevy, and was an avid chain smoker. <laughs> that is wild. Surprisingly, the, the two grew up 40 miles apart from each other and ended up leading almost identical lives. When they finally met at 39, they discovered they both suffered from tension headaches, were prone to nail biting, and even discovered that they smoked the same brand of cigarettes and vacationed at the same Florida beach. Wow. Also, they both had dogs named Toy as kids, and they both liked math and carpentry in school, but hated spelling. Huh. Very interesting, right? That really is. Another quick case example is of Oscar Storr and Jack Yuffie, Born in the 1930s in Trinidad and separated six months later at birth, these twins grew up completely different. Oscar grew up in Germany and joined the Hitler Youth Group. Jack was raised Jewish and moved to Israel and joined the Israeli uh, Navy. One drew swastikas in his notebooks and the other wore a yarmulke. They finally met in their 50s and discovered they loved spicy foods and had some habits such as flushing the toilet before using it and wearing rubber bands on their wrists. They also had a very similar speech and thought patterns and similar walks and both read books from back to front, which I did too. Reading the ending first, right? <laughs> now, when these two met, it didn't go so well due to their upbringing. They were suspicious of each other and were unfriendly to one another. 
After this meeting, they didn't have any communication with one another for 25 years. Hmm. In 1997, they met up again to do an interview, and guess what? They both showed up wearing the same outfit. What? A white sports jacket, shirt, and wire-rimmed glasses. Wow. They also had like, the same facial hair, too, didn't they? Uh-huh, they, they yeah. yeah. Both men died of cancer. So very interesting stuff. Yeah. Now let's hear your guys' stories on twins. Uh-huh. Eric, take uh-huh. it over. All right. So this is the story of twin sisters from Sweden who apparently suffered from a folle adu, or shared psychosis. What that means is that one of them suffered some sort of psychotic break, and the other picked it up and also started suffering from the same delusions just by being around her. It's not a completely unheard of phenomenon. In fact, we've talked about incidents like this before. For instance, the dancing plague, Uh where practically a whole town could not stop dancing for days on end. Sabina and Ursula Erickson are twin sisters in their late 30s that ended up taking some different paths in life. After growing up in Sweden, Ursula ended up moving to the United States, and Sabina moved to Malo, Ireland. At some point around the middle of May 2008, Ursula came out to Ireland to see her sister. The two of them boarded a ferry late on May 16th and arrived in Liverpool, England, around 8.30 a.m. on the 17th. After departing the ferry, they made their way to the St. Anne Police Station, where Sabina reported concerns about the welfare of her children back in Ireland. The officers assisting them reached out to the police in Ireland and promised to flood them. Both sisters ended up departing the bus at a service station in Kiel, which is not a scheduled rest area for the bus line. A later police report would state that they got off the bus because they weren't feeling well, but according to the bus driver, he kicked them off the bus due to their erratic behavior. They were both holding onto their bags after refusing to put them in the luggage hold. The driver found this suspicious and demanded that he let them search their bags, which they refused, and so he made them get off the bus. After getting off the bus, they headed towards the back of the service station, where an attendant was also concerned about their mannerisms. Thinking that they may be carrying bombs in their bags, the attendant called the police, who came and questioned both women, and determined that neither of them posed any kind of threat and let them go about their day. That's when things took a turn for the weird. Now on foot... Ursula and Sabina were seen on a closed-circuit television walking down the median of the M6 highway. At one point, the camera captures them trying to cross the road, but Sabina gets sideswiped by a passing car. Apparently not injured too bad, though, as both sisters ended up making it to the other side of the highway. The driver of the vehicle that had grazed Sabina called the police to report the incident, and shortly thereafter, some highway agency officers arrived at the scene, as did the Central Motorway Police Group, who just so happened to have a camera crew from the TV show Traffic Cops with them Ooh. at the time. Bad boys, bad boys. So the following exchange was all caught on camera. The sisters are seen standing on the side of the road, calmly talking to the officers while smoking cigarettes. While the officers from two different agencies were discussing the situation, Ursula is seen trying to run out onto the highway. An officer tries to grab her to pull her back, but she slips out of her jacket and runs out onto the road where she ran right into the side of a semi-truck driving at around 55 miles per hour. Her shoes are seen flying across the street while her legs get crushed by the truck tires. Almost immediately after, Sabina bolts out onto the highway as well, where she was hit head-on by a Volkswagen. She rolled up onto the hood of the car and shattered the windshield. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Sabina laid in the road unconscious for 15 minutes while an ambulance helicopter was called in to help take them to the hospital. But as soon as Sabina regained consciousness, she immediately climbed to her feet and started yelling for the police to help her. The officers are heard telling her that they are the police and that they're there to help her. But she still continues to yell at them and ask why they tried to kill her. An officer is seen trying to calm her down and bring her out of the road. But Sabina then punches the officer in the face and climbs over the median to run across the other side of the highway. Luckily, there were some other officers over there, and they were able to box her in. She's then seen taking off her coat and getting into a fighting stance at this point. Eventually, they are able to get her to the ground, where several officers then pick her up to take her back over by her sister. 
but she's punching and kicking with almost superhuman strength this whole time. Finally, they are able to put handcuffs on her, and both women are transported to the hospital. Ursula was admitted immediately due to her leg injuries, but Sabina was deemed to be uninjured despite being hit by two cars. Hmm. So she was taken to the police station. By this point, she appeared to be much more calm and even flirty at times. She told one of the officers that, quote, We say in Sweden that an accident rarely comes alone. Usually at least one more follows, maybe two, end quote. The next day, Sabina pled guilty to the charge of assaulting the officer and trespassing on the highway and was sentenced to one day in custody. Having already spent the night in custody, she was set free immediately. This has been a point of contention for a lot of people because she was obviously not well mentally, but no psychiatric evaluation was ever performed and they just let her walk out. Mm-hmm. Sabina was now wandering the streets of the town of Stoke-on-Trent. She was wearing her sister's jacket and had a clear plastic bag that the police had given her, and in it was her laptop, her possessions, and a thousand pounds in cash. I should say pounds as in the monetary unit, not like, you know, weight. <laughs> I was like, dang. Yeah. Bitch is strong. Adrenaline <laughs> strength is still going. thousand pounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At around 7 p.m., 54-year-old Glenn Hollinshead was walking his dog along with his friend Peter Malloy. They spotted Sabina wandering the streets and asked her if she needed help. She asked them if they knew where the closest bed and breakfast was, but Glenn was insistent that she can spend the night at his place. After some initial reluctance, she agreed to go with the men. Back at Glenn's house, Sabina could not sit still. She kept peering out the window and putting cigarettes in and out of her mouth. She offered the men a cigarette, but as soon as they put them in their lips, she immediately snatched them away because she said they may be poisoned. Oh, jeez. Right around midnight, Peter Malloy was getting tired, so he headed home, and Glenn helped Sabina get settled in for the night. The next morning, Glenn was making breakfast for the two of them when he stepped out to borrow some tea bags from the neighbor. Less than a minute after returning home, he stumbled out of his house covered in blood and told the neighbor, She stabbed me. Look after my dog for me. Oh. Before collapsing and dying right there on the spot. The neighbor immediately called the police and Sabina took the hell off. She was spotted by a passing driver who noticed her running down the street while hitting herself in the head with a hammer. Oh my God. He He too called the police and tried to get her to stop. But she pulled a roof tile out of her pocket and hit him with it before running off again. What? Yeah, you know, a roof tile like one carries around with them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I left mine in my other pants, though. Yeah, I get it. It's hard to get those into your jeggings and (laughs) leggings. They just slide right through. (laughs) Shot a roof tile in your pants? (laughs) See me. Wink, wink. So she made her way to an overpass where she climbed over the barrier and jumped off and fell 40 feet to the highway below. She broke both of her ankles and fractured her skull in the fall. Upon being discharged from the hospital almost four months later, on September 11th, Sabina was taken into police custody and charged with murder. Ursula was also released from the hospital in September, but no charges were brought against her. She ended up returning to the United States and has not had any further mental issues since the incident. Due to issues obtaining her medical records from Sweden, Sabina's trial did not begin until September 1st of 2009. She pled guilty to manslaughter with diminished responsibility, which is basically a fancy way of saying that she was had temporary insanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both the prosecution and the defense agreed that she was not of right mind when the incident had occurred, but that she was of sound mind during the trial. Though anytime she was asked any questions about the events that occurred, she would simply state, no comment. The defense argued that she was a victim of shared psychosis that she had picked up from her sister, and the court agreed. She was sentenced to five years in a women's correctional facility. Since her release, she seems to have disappeared completely with no trace of her whereabouts anywhere. Oh. Yeah. In 2012, some footage of the events on the highway was uploaded online anonymously. The footage was taken by a bystander that witnessed the events unfold and showed that the police dropped the ball in a major way. In the video, two police officers are seen discussing the situation, and they both agree that Sabina should be given a 136. 
This is a clause in the Mental Health Act that means that the police can hold a person on account of their mental health and give them mental health assessments. This 136 was never used, and of course Sabina was let free the next day. Had they held on to her like they should have, Glenn Holland's head would still be alive. When the episode of Traffic Cops aired, as well as a documentary about the events called Madness in the Fast Lane, this conversation between the officers was conveniently left out. Oh, wow. So that is the tale of Sabina and Ursula Erickson. Very strange thing that all just happened over the course of a day or two. That's crazy. And Ursula is the one in the States. Yeah, right? Ursula is in she Washington. She doesn't talk about it? No, she she really doesn't uh, talk about the events, about what had happened, about the snap on there. She joined a church out there in Washington and has be- apparently become quite religious and whatnot. But she doesn't really give interviews um, about the events, and nor does she really know where her sister is either, apparently. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Good story. Yeah, it's really, really crazy story. I'm glad you did that one. Well, uh, you know what? You're the one that recommended it to me, and so I appreciate <laughs> that. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> She's patting herself on the back over there. <laughs> Good story, me. Good job. <laughs> well, I couldn't choose which one. I wanted the story I did, and then I wanted that story done. Mm. So I was like, I just push this off on there. <laughs> so you should do this. I was wink, selling wink. it. I was like, Swedish. Yeah. And yeah. Their last name is Eric. Son. Ursula. <laughs> He's like, you had me at Sweden. <laughs> Swedish twins. Fish. In- oh my gosh. Oh, I love Swedish fish. Right? Oh. They are delish. <laughs> I love Swedish fish almost as much as I love the Swedish chef. Oh. Bork, bork, bork. Yeah. Oh, mm. he's the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to talk about some twisted little bitches now. Oh, shit. Yeah, All this right. is a good one. So I'm we're going to we move guys. on back to America. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to talk about their mom first. So Nikki Whitehead was a 34-year-old hairdresser from Conyers, Georgia. Nikki was born on April 18th, 1975, and she was actually born in prison because her mother was serving time after being convicted of robbery and drug charges. Mm. Oh, all right. Yeah, I just thought that was crazy. Um, she was actually then raised by her very Catholic maternal grandparents in her mother's absence, and at age 17, she became pregnant. The father was a Jamaican man who took off as soon as he found out that Nikki was pregnant. (laughs) And here was the fun fact is Nikki had no idea she was pregnant with twins up until she was delivering them. Wow. Oh, one of those stories. Like, was she not going to an obstetrician? I mean, it claims... So what I read was that every ultrasound she had, and I know that ultrasounds now are much different than they were in the 80s. But, well, I mean, I guess this was in 1993, so they were pretty good at that point, but apparently one twin was always hiding. (laughs) Peekaboo! Which, like, I've heard that that happens, but every single time? Yeah, you know, that's very bizarre. bizarre. Yeah. So she had no idea she was giving birth to twins until they were like, oh, there's another one coming out. guess what? Surprise! You're having twins! You need to go buy another car seat. Yeah, so she was actually really excited. When she found out she was having twins. Two for the price of one? What a deal. Yeah. And so they were born November 27th, 1993. Um, the babies were identical twin girls, and they were named Jasmia and Tasmia. And they would go by Jazz and Taz. I like it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Jazz and Taz. Yeah. So sometimes their own family even had trouble telling the girls apart because they were so similar. The only visual difference between the girls was that Jazz had a mole on her face. So she had like a pretty big mole just right to the side of her nose. Oh, okay. But other than that, they look exactly the same. Oh, thus the whole identical yeah. part of being an identical Well, and I, I guess that, you know, from a very, very early age, they played it up. Oh. They had that connection, but they would mess no, with people. No, I'm Taz. Yeah. Yeah. They would just play it up and mess with their family. and So the twins were immediately the pride and joy of this family, and they were very loved. From a young age, the beautiful little girls were full of charisma, and it was impossible not to adore them. Nikki always wanted her girls to have more than she had growing up, 
and she was actually able to provide a pretty nice lifestyle for the girls working as a hairdresser. She put them in extracurricular classes, such as dance, which was an experience Nikki herself never got. Nikki also pushed the girls to take their education seriously. And all the way up to middle school, the girls were on the honor roll, they were in Girl Scouts, and they excelled in school. Since Nikki was a hairdresser, she always made sure the girls' appearances were on spot, or on fleek, if you want to go there. <laughs> okay, I like it. Yeah. Man, you're, you're, you're hip. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hip. <laughs> I get jiggy. <laughs> but yeah, she just made sure, I mean, the girls' hair always looked amazing, like... Mm-hmm. The girls were good-looking kids. Okay. So the twins' lives changed in 2007 when Nikki decided she wanted the girls, then 13, to live with her and her new boyfriend instead of with their grandparents. And unfortunately, once the girls got into high school, their priorities changed and their grades began to go downhill. Mm -hmm. The girls began to lose interest in dance and started turning their attention to older boys. Older boys. Yeah. Uh So, and I was like thinking how old, but we're, you know, they're in high school and we're talking like 18, 19, 20 year old boys. And they're like, the girls are like 14 now, 13, 14, 15, 16. So still too young. Yeah. Yeah. Older boys. They're trouble. They are. All of them. (laughs) (laughs) So the girls became rebellious, and their mother apparently believed they were using drugs and had become sexually active. The twins saw saw their mother's attempts to control them as hypocritical because of her own lifestyle. Mm. So all of this had to be terrifying to their mom, especially since she was a young mother and she wanted so much more for her own kids. When Nikki became aware of the girls' slipping performance at school, she started tightening the reins on the twins and doing everything she could to get them back on the straight and narrow. However, the girls did not take kindly to this and began to rebel against Nikki. The more rules Nikki tried to enforce, the harder the twins pushed back. Nikki found out Jazz was dating a 19-year-old boy, or man, I guess, and after Jazz refused to come home, Nikki went over to the boy's house to retrieve her daughter. Like, oh, dang. yeah, like apparently she drug her out of there, the gr- took Good. her phone, like really put the hurt down. So, of course, Jazz was mortified, and on the ride home, she jumped out of the moving car. Oh, no, like did the whole tuck and roll. And this pretty much at that point, it was like she took the power. Yeah, all of a sudden, Nikki was just like. What can I do? Like, my kid is crazy, like, essentially. So, after this incident, things only got worse with the twins and Nikki. And Nikki knew she had to do something. But instead of taking the girls to a therapist or some sort of family counseling, like you would probably think to do if your kids were really rebelling... Um, Nikki went another route. As I mentioned before, Nikki's family was very Catholic, and Nikki decided that the only reason her girls could be behaving this horribly was because they were obviously possessed by a demon. No, that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm not talking about, like, the demon called drugs or alcohol or hormones. Like, she thought that they needed an exorcism. Oh, okay. Unfortunately... It's the only explanation. Right. Your kids must be possessed. Not that that you're the mother of 15-year-old girls, which are the worst people on the planet. Right. Like, teenage girls, speaking from experience... Yeah. ...are terrible human beings. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, the worst of the worst. Like, I say sorry to my parents pretty much every time I see them, just (laughs) because... What are you apologizing for? That was 20 years ago. I'm like, I know. I just... I'm sorry. I'm sorry again. (laughs) So, unfortunately, the church denied Nikki's request for an exorcism. (laughs) Weird, right? So, you know, as time's going by, the twins would, like, play their mother. And basically, one of them would pretend to be, like, the good twin. And be like, no, mom, I'll help you. I'm going to help you get the other twin on. And they would, like, flip-flop. And they were basically just, like messing with their mom yeah and then uh taz actually began to cut herself so you know they're going down a a path but still no mental health experts were consulted yeah so um with the the cutting alone that's when you start saying okay it's time to bring somebody in and talk yeah and it's but i mean even just for parenting it's like as parents we don't know what we're doing right oh yeah you're winging it you're winging it and if you can get any like oh yeah please tell me what i might try Right. I would love some advice. Like, anyway, <laughs> the twins continued with their bad behavior and things only escalated from there. They actually got into a physical fight in 2008 with their mom. 
they like physically jumped her in the house and started beating her up she had to she locked herself in the bedroom and had to call the cops she called her parents first and was like i don't know what to do and they were like if you feel threatened call the cops right and so the cops showed up and it was a domestic violence type thing right but because you know like with the domestic violence they'll take like one of the people usually gets taken away right but because it's the kids they're like well i guess we'll just leave them here with you and sure enough, they start beating up their mom again as soon as the cops left. Ugh. And I mean, like, bad. Call so, the cops on us. We'll show you. Oh, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Against one. And, you know, they were, like, threatening her. And at this point, she ran out. And luckily, one of the cops was still in the ha- like, right by their neighborhood doing something in the car. Yeah. And at that point, she got out and, uh, like, ended up taking the girls in. Good. Because, yeah. like, the and, and of course, they turned it around. No, our mom is crazy. She's lying. She was beating on us. And they were so manipulative. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They could turn on the tears. And these girls were smart. Well, it sounds like just it. Just charming, like, and they would just cry and be like, no, she was being so mean to us. Mm-hmm. So, after this physical fight in 2008, the girls were charged with juvenile um, offenses. And they were in and out of juvenile court for the next couple of years. At least one counselor, so they had to go to counseling as a family for the next couple of years. And one counselor found that the family, quote unquote, thrived on chaos and that all the adults had, quote unquote, failed to control the situation, Mm. which is upsetting. So the girls really like were adamant about moving back in with their grandparents. Yeah. Well, it's and, obviously well, not working out. And with, it's actually right. their great-great-grandparents. But, of course, they're going to let them get away with whatever they want to do. Right. So they actually let them move back in. The court was like, all right, let's try this. And after, like, three weeks, the great-grandparents were like... Take them. We're too old. Like, they're doing the same crap, and we're just not old enough to fight back. Or we're too old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what I meant. They're not, but, you know, it's, it, they were basically doing the same stuff they were with their mom. But whereas it would go to the point where Nikki was fighting back with them. Yeah. Yeah. The, grand, the great-grandparents were like, we can't. So they got sent back to mom's house. Yeah. And they were pissed. On January 13th, we're at 2010 now, the twins got into a fight with their mother in the kitchen after waking up late for school. The fight escalated to the point where Nikki began threatening the twins with a pot she had been cooking with. The twins got physical at this point and managed to wrestle the pot away from Nikki. Then Jazz broke a vase over her mother's head. Oh! Nikki was fighting back at this point and bit Jazz on the chest. While the two were wrestling around on the floor, suddenly Taz came up and began stabbing Nikki. Oh! Taz continued to stab her mother as her twin began to strangle her with a ribbon. Jazz then took the knife from her sister and continued stabbing. Oh. The twins carried their injured mother to the bathtub, which was filled with water. Allegedly, as Nikki lay dying, her daughters just watched, and their mother told them that she hated them. Wow. The twins watched their mother sink below the surface and knew that she was dead. After the murder, the girls collected their mother's purse and phone, along with the pot and the knife in a plastic bag, and then they went to school. Well, at least they weren't truant. Yeah. You know, that's what she wanted was them to be good about school. Yeah. And apparently they were completely normal at school. <laughs> like, like nothing had gone Nothing. Down. Like at one point, one person claimed that they saw like the two consoling each other. Right. And other than that, like nothing. Huh. So it wasn't until later that day that the girls summoned a Rockdale County Sheriff's deputy who was driving by their home. He found the victim submerged in a bathtub. The officer said at the time he could smell the blood in the air at the home. On arrival, the girls seemed distraught and explained that their mother had been murdered and that her body was in the bath. Police found a truly horrific scene with the single mother covered in blood, having been stabbed in what looked like a crazy assault. A later examination would determine that she had been stabbed over 80 times and that her spinal cord was almost completely Mm -hmm. severed due to the severity of her wounds and this was what the medical examiner described as an emotional attack yeah Yeah. understandable to stab somebody that many times yeah 80 times yeah there's obviously it's overkill like that's personal yeah you're mad obviously so 
Detectives initially followed some leads from the twins related to their mom having two boyfriends. However, this line of inquiry was fruitless, and they soon turned their attention to the unusual behavior of the two girls. They noticed a lack of real emotion from the girls, who they expected to be distraught. Instead, they seemed to have no empathy for their mother and described her in very negative terms. Mm. A search of the home revealed some bloody, bloody boots and a clump of hair that had been pulled out of someone's head. As investigators put pressure on the teenagers, the rest of their story began to fall apart. They were found to have lied about walking to school and the timing of various events. However, there was inf- insufficient evidence to charge the twins, and they were released into custody of their great-grandmother. They brought dates to their mom's funeral. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, they both brought, like, their 19-year-old boyfriends as dates. And, like, four days later, they went to prom. Oh, wow. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, have you guys seen a true crime documentary? Yeah. Fake it a little. You need to act sad. Like. Wow. Pull out the sociopath. Come on. Like unbelievable so police continued to build their case and added some important forensic evidence at the end of the school term so this is like four months later right they decided to act and arrest both girls charging them with felony murders and aggravated assault in january 2014 tasmia pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter and was sentenced to 30 years in prison on February 7th, 2014, one month after her twin, Jasmia also pleaded guilty and is serving the same sentence. The twins are incarcerated in separate prisons within the Georgia Department of Corrections. Tasmia is serving her sentence in Paluski State Prison, and Jasmia is serving her sentence at Arendelle State Prison. Both girls earned their GADs while in prison, and the twins were eligible for parole in 2017. And I looked... Because I was trying to find any sort of update on that. And as far as I can see, like, no parole parole hearing has ever happened for them yet. So. They should have life I, without I parole. I think so. Absolutely. Especially because, I mean. Because technically, they're, they should get out around their 40s. They'll be, yeah. But, oh my God. Yeah. I'm familiar with this case. I know that one graduated, I believe it's Jazz, is valedictorian. Uh-huh. And I think the other, or maybe both, I know for sure one, they do beauty pageants in prison. Oh my God, really? Yeah. Oh my, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Like, they were said to be really beautiful girls. Like, I don't know. But it's just, it's insane. Like, the level that they took things to. And I mean, those, the fights I mentioned were the biggest ones, but right. they were constantly fighting with their mother. And I mean, like, we're not talking like, mom, I hate you. Bye. It like well, no, physical fighting. fighting, like physical. Yeah. Uh, wow. And like, I forgot to mention, it was so sad. Like their mom loved them so much and she was willing to just try and try and try and try. Like after they came back from the grandparents house, after the grandparents tried to have custody, she like cleaned up the house and bought all sorts of new stuff to make the house more fun for the girls. And she was so excited to have them back. Yeah. And she bought like expensive designer yeah. stuff for oh, them. Yeah. And like she spoiled really those girls. It's just, it's so sad because she just loved them unconditionally. And it was like, also, <sighs> sorry. Also no, the fine. big lead into helping the police really like pinpoint that it was them mm-hmm. is the school footage. When they said they went to school yeah. on time, they actually had them on film arriving a little over two hours yeah. late. Oh, so like there were, so right like, there they realized timeline they and things the were not right on. And right. But yeah, I just, I couldn't believe they brought dates to their mother's funeral. Yeah, that's... Wow. wow. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. What, I mean... It's crazy. I wonder also, what the, the odds are if you have one sociopath twin, what are the odds of the other right. one being a sociopath as well? Because there, there's weird, interesting studies about that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be very twins. high because... Possibly. You're getting that twin They're getting bond. the genetic and every... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I read something about, um, like, homosexuality within mm-hmm. the twin community and whatnot, where um, generally if one twin is, is gay or lesbian, you know, LGBT, mm-hmm. uh, then 
there's like a one in five chance that the other one will be okay. as well. So it came about from the, those. There's a pair of sisters, Tegan and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, big popular act. They did the everything yeah. is awesome thing from Lego yeah. Movie or whatever. Um, and they both happen to be lesbian. Yeah. And so there was this whole thing about that that they both, yeah, you know, these twin sisters are both lesbians, and the odds of that happening or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, it's... But so there is some weird things that come into play with a lot of yeah. that, but when it comes to mental illness it's very that's yeah that's quite odd that you know both would have that unless mm-hmm. it's also kind of along the lines of the whole folie a deux that yeah. yeah that i was talking about that the other one just picks up on the other yeah. one's emotions and whatever else so right it's hard to say like environmental versus yeah nature versus nurture yeah. what is it yeah but yeah i mean there is a lot of twin murders out there but as far as i can remember they were all raised together yeah so none separate where yeah they were both committing separate crimes and then kind of came together right so yeah part of that has to be household gosh but yeah interesting yeah and i mean both of the girls were diagnosed with being sociopaths Uh Mm uh-huh oh for sure and uh, but i mean i just i can't it's it's just sad to me oh yeah no it's it's very tragic very very sad story so All right, Mary. Yes. You're going to wrap this all up, huh? I sure will. Yes. I will be covering June and Jennifer Gibbons, or better known as the Silent Twins. Okay. The girls were born April 11th, 1963, in Yemen to parents Gloria and Aubrey Gibbons. June was born first, but it was Jennifer who developed into the stronger, more dominant twin. Now, the family eventually immigrated to Haverford West in Wales. It can always be difficult moving to a new place, right? Especially mm-hmm. when you're young and going to a new school. Well, it was definitely not an easy transition for them. They were the only black children in town, and they were bullied so severely that school officials allowed them to leave school ahead of the other students so they could reach their home in safety and peace. Wow. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. I mean, I guess this is like, you know, mid-70s or whatever, but geez. Yeah. Awful. Really sad. Man. As you can imagine, they started to withdraw from others and wouldn't talk to anyone else but themselves. They started to only communicate with one another in a language that they made up, which was a mix of English and slang from Barbados, which is where their parents are from. Oh. So their parents are from Barbados. They're born in Yemen. Yemen. Yeah. Now they're living in Wales. Uh Wow. Wow. All right. Okay. Um, The father, I believe... Um, he was in some sort of an army. Okay. I think okay, he was Air Force. Sense. That would make that sense. Makes All sense. right. I can't remember for what, but I do remember reading he was in an Air Force in a little blurb. They were also known for marrying each other's behaviors and movements, often even finishing not only sentences, but the actions that the other started. And would walk everywhere following each other in perfectly synchronized steps. Okay, that's creepy. <laughs> Come play with us. Right. <laughs> like, uh uh-uh. The parents became concerned and took the girls to therapists, but they did not do any good, right? The parents finally sent them to separate boarding schools, thinking that being apart would help draw them out of their shells. Mm-hmm. Well, it had the reverse effect. The girls closed themselves off and actually went into an almost vegetation state where they their body was just like rigor. And they could oh, wow. like people couldn't lift them out yeah. of their beds or anything. They just went super stiff. Yeah, you can't separate twins like that. That's they have such a strong yeah. bond that uh-huh. that can be very Especially mentally at, traumatic. At a young yeah. Age, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. When they finally reunited, they immediately cheered up, but also immediately went back to their odd ways. Soon they started to spend large amounts of time locked away in their room writing rather dark and sinister fictional stories. Another favorite pastime of theirs was to play with dolls. Now, these girls constructed elaborate fantasy worlds and would write biographs for the dolls, but also included details of the date that they would die and detailed the morbid way that they died. They, they planned out the deaths of their dolls? Yeah. Wow. Jesus. All right. 
Now the girls are 16 and share uh, their truths in separate diaries. It detailed the love-hate relationship with one another. Here is an entry from Jennifer. We have become fatal enemies in each other's eyes. I say to myself, can I get rid of my own shadow? Impossible or not impossible? Without my shadow, would I die? Without my shadow, would I gain life, be free, or left to die? An entry from June says, She wants us to be equal. There is a murderous gleam in her eye. Dear Lord, I am scared of her. She is not normal. Someone is driving her insane. It is me. Wow. Crazy, right? Damn. And they're 16 right now. Yes. The girls started to fight more and more with one another. They would punch, scratch, and strangle each (gasps) other. Then they would be loving to one another, and you couldn't separate them. During this age, they would only talk to each other, again, in their secret language. They ignored their parents and siblings, except for one of their sisters, Rose, who could somewhat understand the language, and they would sometimes... Like, talk to her Mm -hmm. just in a sentence, though. Like, no long conversations or they wouldn't include her in anything. But Rose, um, from what I gathered in different articles, was the one who would take the trays of food up to them. Interesting. All this angst moved outside of the house, and the girls started to drink and do drugs. They would break into houses, smash windows, and start fires. At age 19, they were committed to Broadmoor Hospital, which their parents were upset about since it was a maximum security facility for the criminally insane and housed serial killers. Ooh. Might as well just call it Arkham Asylum. Right? Right? Their neighbor was the scarecrow. My laugh sounds so stupid since I'm sick. Sorry, guys. (laughs) When they arrived, they became completely unresponsive and lethargic. And if tried to, uh, if they tried to be separated, like if the staff tried to separate them, uh, they would go crazy. In the times that they did try to speak to the staff, it was always in their own language, so no one could understand them. Oh my gosh! During their twelve-year stay, they would take turns eating. One day, one would eat, and the other wouldn't. The next day, it was the opposite twin that would eat. Other oddities are the girls were actually finally separated and kept in different cells of this hospital on different areas, right? Um, It's reported that doctors and nurses would go to the cell of one girl to check on them, do pills, whatever, Mm -hmm. and then they would go to the other side, the other wing of the hospital, and there's the other girl, but the creepy and bizarre part is they would be in the same area of their cell doing the same bizarre, unnatural pose. Kind of like a weird yoga, you know what I mean, bend and stuff. But they were always the the same pose, same section of the room. And again, they're in different wings. Good Lord. This is creepy. It is, This is turning into a a really weird, like... (laughs) Yeah, low budget sci- yeah, horror movie. Yeah. You're gonna find a in the, B movie. Yeah, you're gonna find it Netflix somewhere. But yeah. becomes a cult favorite. Yeah, a cult of weirdos favorite. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, when they were nearly thirty years old, they were finally released to a less restricted hospital. On the bus to their new home, Jennifer laid her head on June's shoulder and said, "At long last, we are out." That day, Jennifer died at the age of 31. Wow. From what? The cause of death was undiagnosed infection of the heart. So they finally got the release that they were going to be um, transferred when they were 30. But when it happened, it was at 31, just a few months apart from their birthday. Now, that might not seem too strange. But during this time in Broadmoor, their unique case caught the attention of investigative journalist from the Sunday Times named Marjorie Wallace. She met and befriended the girls in 1980 and started chronicling their strange connection. Because it's strange, right? Uh Uh-huh. 
After numerous interviews and reading through their diaries and writings, Marjorie would go on to claim that the two girls felt that they needed to uh, sever their strange bond in order to be free and that they made a pact in which one of them would have to sacrifice herself for the other to break that twin connection and psychic link, therefore going on to live a normal life. Oh, wow. Marjorie claims that Jennifer came up to her one day and declared, I'm going to have to die, we have decided. June would later claim that her sister's last words to her were, At long last, we are out. And June went on to say, I'm free at last, liberated, and at last Jennifer has given up her life for me. Wow. Well, days after Jennifer's death, June started to change. She began to speak to people in a normal language and actually had conversations. She was finally freed a year after Jennifer's death. She lives a quiet life in West Wales near her parents. She visits Jennifer's grave every Thursday. And Jennifer's headstone reads, We once were two. We two made one. We no more two, through life be one, rest in peace. Mm. Wow. In a 2016 interview with her sister Greta, she revealed that the family had been deeply troubled about the girls' lockup ever since it happened. She blamed Broadmoor for ruining their lives and for neglecting Jennifer's health. She wanted to file a lawsuit against uh, Broadmoor, but her parents refused, saying it wouldn't bring Jennifer back. Now, like I said, this is a very interesting case. There's more details about the the journal writings, their secret language, just their interactions with others. Hmm. And if you're interested in this case, then I highly recommend reading the book from Marjorie Wallace that is simply titled The Silent Twins. Wow. Huh. How bizarre. Yeah, that one's always just weirded me out yeah also i think i i well i'm not going to say think i definitely agree that they should not have been in that institution yeah there's i would believe and hope that there would be other options for them out there yeah Yeah. Yeah. the heart thing just seems so weird so weird i mean undetected yeah that might have been the case but yeah for them to have this packed and realize one has to die to break this oddity and for the other to move on that's that's now the other twin um is still alive like i said she lives a quiet life uh she still does writings but Mm -hmm. unfortunately nothing like really big has taken off for her right right wow Good job. That's crazy. Yeah. So bizarre. Twins, you're crazy. Yeah. You're, you're creepy, twins. <laughs> Eric's so lucky that I don't have a twin. <laughs> God. <sighs> and I'm so lucky I don't have a twin. I don't need that psychically. I'm already crazy in my head. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'll need someone else in there. Ooh. Well, there is. Yeah. I don't need another on top of that one. Yeah. <laughs> on top of the three that are already up in there. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, there's your bonus episode. If you have a twin or have any stories yeah. regarding twins. And you're creepy. Well, that's <laughs> pretty much all our patrons, I think. Come play with us. <laughs> Red rum. Oh, my God. Uh, let's hear them. Yeah. Post them in the upper echelon. Yeah. And with that, say bye, guys. Bye. Bye. bye.